0: Hello and welcome to Australia's Heartland with Tony Abbott. I'm Daniel Wilde from the Institute of Public Affairs. Australia's Heartland with Tony Abbott is your voice. Each week, Tony and I discuss mainstream Australian values, the future of the Australian way of life, family, community and Australian culture. More importantly, we want to hear from you. That is why we have the Tell Tony Abbott segment at the end of each show where you can ask tony your questions on whatever topic you want phone in to the australian heartland hotline on 03 9946 4307 to leave your question you can also go to the website australia.ipa.org.au where you can join the australian heartland community and sign up to receive this podcast sent to you each week along with special analysis from the institute of public affairs thank you for supporting the australian way of life and now to this week's episode Hello, Tony, and g'day to all of our listeners. I'm very excited to be with you again for another episode of Australia's Heartland with Tony Abbott. We've had some excellent feedback and engagement from our listeners, and I just want to start by reminding everybody to click, subscribe, or like to this podcast on wherever you're listening to it, on Spotify, on iTunes, on YouTube, to make sure that you don't miss an episode and that you are the first to receive every episode as it comes out. And if you like what you hear, give us a five-star rating. You can also call in to the Australian Heartland Hotline on 03 9946 4307 to leave your question for Tony. Tony, there is a lot to discuss as always. And I'd like to begin uh, in our discussion of lockdowns as they continue here in Australia and the different approaches being pursued by our two biggest states, New South Wales and Australia. Victoria. In New South Wales, the pursuit of COVID elimination is now dead. Uh, Whereas in Victoria, uh, the government here continues to pursue elimination or something very close to it, which guarantees that lockdowns will continue here uh, for some time yet. Tony, I would like to get your assessment of the different approaches being pursued in New South Wales and Victoria.
1: You won't be surprised, Daniel, to hear that I much prefer the New South Wales approach. Um, zero COVID is a fantasy. The Delta variant has exploded the possibility of zero COVID. Uh, to establish zero COVID with Delta, the lockdown would have to be way beyond anything that would be tolerable in a democracy. Um, even now, I think that the Victorian lockdown has uh, extraordinarily onerous dimensions to it. The fact that playgrounds are closed, uh, the fact that uh, there's a curfew again uh, throughout uh, metropolitan Melbourne. Look, I I think Australians are over lockdowns, to be honest, Daniel. Uh, Yes, they were probably necessary for a period at the start of the pandemic. Um, Arguably, they remained necessary at times uh, before we got vaccines. But Now that we have vaccines, we need to treat COVID differently to the way we treated it back at the beginning when we didn't have them, particularly given that more than 90% of the very vulnerable in nursing homes are vaccinated. Uh, In New South Wales, uh, my understanding is that more than 90% of people over 70 have had at least their first jab. Uh, Two-thirds of people over 70 have had uh, their second jab so the people who are most exposed and vulnerable to COVID have been protected, and I think we've got to moderate our approach, given that the people that we really need to protect are much safer now than they ever have been before because there are costs to lockdowns, heavy costs to lockdowns, which we are now seeing more and more. Uh, the mental health pandemic, particularly the impact on uh, young people, teenagers, teenagers, who feel that their lives are being stolen from them.
0: Tony, I'd like to now turn to something you mentioned a moment ago, which is the impact that lockdowns are having on Australians' jobs and mental health and the broader impacts on our community. There was a very important survey today covered in the Australian newspaper of a a survey undertaken by YouGov of over 3,000 Australians uh, regarding their job situation, mental health situation. And I want to put to you the most important findings Uh, and get your um, assessment and reflections on that. Uh, When asked what their greatest fear was in this survey, uh, respondents ranked business closures and jobs as number one at 58%, followed by the impact on mental health at 56%, and then followed by COVID-19 cases and deaths at 51%. In other words, concerns about jobs and mental health uh, are now greater than concerns about the virus itself. Tony, what are your thoughts on those findings? I'm not surprised that at this stage of
1: the pandemic, people are more worried about COVID policy than they are about COVID itself. But to me, Daniel, the most interesting thing is the number of people who are still very worried about COVID. Um, It's not that There's not a vast difference between those figures. More than 50% are very worried about COVID. Yes, close to 60% are more worried about about, uh, business difficulties and keeping kids out of school and so on. But but there are still a lot of people very worried about COVID. And uh, yes, COVID was serious. It was always serious. It was never just the flu. It was always much more than that but it's never been Ebola, it's never been the plague. Frankly, it's never even been the Spanish flu, uh, and yet we've treated it as though it it were. Uh, The pandemic plans that had been established in my time as health minister and routinely revised every year uh, basically were thrown out the window at the very beginning. Uh, The pandemic plans never envisaged Uh, widespread stay-at-home orders, uh, never envisaged the shutdown of major industries. Yes, the pandemic plans envisaged strict quarantine on our borders. Uh, The pandemic plans uh, envisaged for periods of time the banning of large gatherings and so on. But essentially uh, the quarantine on the borders was designed to delay the impact of the pandemic disease so that we could ramp up our health systems and protect the vulnerable. Uh, there was never any anticipation under the pandemic plans as they existed up until August of 2019 uh, to try to create Fortress Australia for, for months, even for years, in order to keep a virus out of the country absolutely indefinitely.
0: Tony, I'd like to move now to talk a bit more about the inequitable impact that lockdowns are having on Australians. Uh, research that we've undertaken at the Institute of Public Affairs over many months has shown that it's been small business owners, young Australians, private sector workers that have borne the majority of the costs of lockdowns, whereas public sector workers and big business workers have had more jobs and higher wages. Um, this has, in my view, created a very divided Society, and I'm concerned that this division uh, may last beyond the lockdown period and beyond the pandemic period. Would you share those concerns or do you have a slightly different perspective?
1: There are aspects of contemporary Australia which I personally find a little bit unsettling. The readiness of people to dob and snitch on their neighbours worries me a lot, frankly. Uh, The readiness of the police, even in New South Wales, to act in an overbearing and authoritarian manner concerns me greatly. We had a situation in New South Wales just a couple of weeks back where the police commissioner encouraged his officers to uh, find first and think later. Uh, and said that he would back them even if the fines were wrong uh, because he thought the situation was so serious that it required this kind of over-policing. Well, I I really worry about that, and I think it should disturb all of us, uh, this prospect of coming out of the pandemic with permanently larger and more overbearing government. Uh, We know we're going to come out of the pandemic with a massive issue of debt and deficit which will take decades to repay but if in addition to that um, government is much bossier uh, much more intrusive uh, much less respectful of citizens than before that would be an added dimension of harm from this
0: rather dispiriting time. Why do you think this has happened, and I want to focus in particular on the snitching and dobbing uh, mm. because that, to me, is very un-Australian and very, very concerning. Has that is there something beneath the surface mm. that's always been there in Australia, and it's just come out now in the pandemic, or is this a completely new development and phenomenon? What do you think?
1: Look, if if you're walking down the street and you see a burglary taking place or an assault taking place it's only right and proper that you should call the police. It would be better still if you did what you could to try to stop the burglary or stop the assault from taking place. That's good citizenship. But if you're walking down the street and you see someone come out of his house without a mask and you call the police, well, frankly, that's just Stasi-like behaviour. And I do think there has been a tendency over the last 18 months to go way beyond even safety first to a position of safety only now of course we should always try to be as safe as reasonably possible but a risk free life you just can't lead a risk free a risk free life is hardly a life at all um, and and i just think that part of leading an ordinary Australian life is the spirit of live and let live, that easygoing desire to help your neighbours when they're in trouble, uh, not to uh, dob them in just because they're not conforming to your idea of what's right and proper.
0: It's a good point. I I completely agree with you, uh, Tony. The thing that's concerned me is, people not giving one another the benefit of the doubt Mm. Uh, and perhaps there are valid reasons why someone's behaving the way that they are and rather than taking them as they are or taking them as their word, a lot of people... Particularly,
1: Daniel, when the rules are so over the top. I mean, why do we have even now in New South Wales and Victoria uh, towns locked down even though they have no COVID cases whatsoever and 100 kilometres away from places where there are COVID cases? Why are we insisting on masks outdoors when there's no evidence of outside transmission? Why in Victoria do we have playgrounds denied to kids uh, because we fear that there might be some congregation of adults nearby? I think we've been far too ready to close down schools, given that almost no young people have become seriously ill with COVID. Now, I accept that there are issues with with teachers and so on, but it ought to have been possible for us to be much more reasonable about these things than we've been. With the partial exception of the New South Wales government, far too many states are still approaching this today, 18 months into the pandemic, as they did at the very start in March, April and May of last year.
0: Well, they are. I mean, Victoria is still in March 2020. Nothing, nothing has changed in Victoria from where we were um, 18 months ago. I just want to ask one more question on this just to dig a fraction deeper. And I want to give you my thoughts on what's driving some of this and get your, your assessment as well. In terms of the behaviour of a lot of Australians toward one another, I think it's driven by a bit of a decline of our civil society. In the past, Mm -hmm. Australians of all backgrounds, cultural, economic, religious backgrounds would, um, yes, have their own ways of living, but would come together at sport, um, at local community associations, at RSLs, at the pub, uh, and at the very many and varied other ways that Australians would come together and rub shoulders with one another. Um, I think so much of that has changed over recent years where we're much less likely to volunteer in our community than we were, much less likely to start our own business than what we were in the past. We don't know our neighbors in the same ways we did in previous generations and I I think that's caused some atomization of individuals being detached from one another and that has compromised our ability to empathize with one another which has meant it's harder for us to get along. I think that's one of the things that's driving this Snitching and dobbing behaviour. Uh, would you share those views, or would you bring a, a slightly different perspective to that that matter?
1: I think it's so important that we look at our fellow human beings with a general attitude of respect and trust. Uh, I think we've got to give people the benefit of the doubt. I think we're to take people as we find them. I think we should look at our fellow human beings with faith and optimism. Rather than treating them with suspicion and as a source of disease, and 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 again, I, I think there I think there has in recent times been a growth of wariness about others, which has been exacerbated by the pandemic. Instead of seeing others as a source of engagement and help and 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 fellowship we've seen others as a source of, of danger and infection perhaps the most orwellian of the slogans that i have seen bandied around during this pandemic was the one that i've seen that i saw daubed all over victorian bus shelters and so on last year um staying apart keeps us together i mean what an appalling thing an absolutely appalling thing uh, to be officially encouraging people uh, to uh, to treat each other as sources of danger.
0: And that's certainly what it has done. Uh, Tony, I'd just like to ask one more question before we turn to our Tell Tony Abbott segment. And this gets to the potential long-term implications of lockdowns and the effect that that is having on our society. As I mentioned, small businesses, um, civil society being diminished and big business public sector is growing My view is this is likely to have a long-term structural impact on our society and on our nation that will move us further to the left because democracy and self-governance is predicated on people having a stake in their own lives and in their community, which you have by owning a home, running a business, volunteering, um, participating in your kid's school, getting to know your neighbours, and as I mentioned, that's been diminished in recent times. And I'm worried that that means that um, as we have smaller numbers of bigger institutions and fewer smaller institutions that we're more connected to, um, that this will have long-term implications on what it means, uh, long-term implications on the structure uh, of our economy and our culture. Um, What would be your view on that issue, Tony?
1: Well, well, I certainly agree that Big business, by and large, has done comparatively well out of the pandemic. Small business, particularly in retail, hospitality and tourism, has been absolutely devastated by the pandemic. So, so I, I absolutely a- agree with you there. But I think a much bigger question is our general cultural resilience. It's a much bigger question. And this is where the fact that, too few people have any real sense of our history is uh, is a massive problem. For instance, if you had any sense of history, you would appreciate that pandemics have taken place routinely uh, through human history, starting with uh, the pandemic of Justinian uh, back in, I think, the 500s. So then, of course, we had uh, the Black Death. We had uh, various... Uh, pandemics, uh, including, I think, a bubonic plague pandemic uh, in Sydney uh, back in the early 1900s. Uh, then, of course, there was the Spanish flu uh, in the aftermath of the Great War. So, look, if 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 you want to have a sense of perspective, you've got to have a consciousness of history, and if you want to have a sense of of, of of life and death if you like um, you you need to have some familiarity with those the traditional ways of thinking that have made sense of these things uh, in our culture and our civilization and and we don't have a sense of history uh, we're losing touch with our cultural roots i think this is a significant part of the loss of social resilience which i fear we might be experiencing at this time
0: tony those are i think very important remarks and a a good place to leave our conversation for today and turn to now the most exciting and important part of every podcast episode which is the uh, tell tony abbott segment which is your chance our listeners uh, to ask tony your questions and today We have a great lineup of questions. As a reminder, you can call in to the Australian Heartland Hotline on 03 9946 4307 uh, to leave your question. And you can also leave your question and comments on the Institute of Public Affairs Facebook posts about the podcast. I'm going to start with a Facebook question from Alan. And Alan asks, Tony, how do we get some average Joes will quiet Australians into Parliament to keep the career politicians with no real-life experience on task fighting for all Australians. Tony? I think that's
1: more of a lament than a question, if I may say so. <laughs> Look, this is where I know I sound like a crack record. It's very important for people to join the political party of their choice and do what they can to ensure that it is more representative of The broader Australian community and to do what they can to ensure that its pre-selected and elected members are faithful uh, to the instincts of the Australian mainstream. We can't complain about the quality of our politicians if we don't have anything to do with the political system apart simply from voting once every three or four years.
0: Okay, and our second question, also from Facebook, is Martin, and Martin is more of a comment than a question, so I'll get your reactions to Martin's comment. Quote, the most important battleground is the culture war, which time and time again the Conservatives fail to turn up for. So that is a comment from Martin. Tony, how would you respond to Martin's assertion?
1: I can understand the way he feels, and often enough I – find myself uh, uh, making similar observations, I suppose. Look, uh, the point I've made before on these podcasts, a majority that stays silent does not long remain a majority. Uh, Effort does not guarantee success, but lack of effort guarantees failure. And interestingly, uh, people on the left have, at least in recent times, shown more commitment to their causes, Uh, they're active 365 days a year, whereas people on the right tend to be active simply on polling day. Uh, The only time in recent months and years when the voice of the quiet Australians was heard was on election day 2019. Uh, Since then and before then, it's all been the left and that's why we've got the climate cult. That's why we've got the virus hysteria. That's why we've got the magic pudding economics. That's why we've got the gender fluidity issues. That's why we've got the, the cultural uh, self-abasement. And, and and this is why it is important for people to be more vocal about what they believe. Now, yes, you've got to be reasonable and polite and respectful, hopefully well-informed, but nevertheless, in the end, you've got to be prepared to speak because if you won't speak, who will speak? If not me, who? And, and the problem is that not enough people have spoken out strongly enough in defence of what might be broadly described as traditional values in recent times.
0: Great. Tony, thank you for that. And just before we go to our final thoughts for today's podcast episode, I did just want to thank again all of our listeners for your engagement and your questions that you are sending in. Please keep um, sending them in. We'd love to hear from you. And just a final reminder to click subscribe or to like this podcast wherever you're listening to it, on Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, because that'll ensure that you don't miss an episode. And again, if you like what you hear, give us a five-star rating. Uh, Tony, if I could just turn to you now just for any final thoughts uh, that you have for the week ahead.
1: Well, we did discuss this beforehand, Daniel, and you were hoping that we could end on an optimistic note. And look, I, I always want to be optimistic because pessimism normally just makes a bad situation worse. But I think we do also have to be realistic and this is not a great time. It really isn't a great time, Uh, whether it's the pandemic and the assaults on freedom, uh, whether it's the uh, fall of Kabul and the triumph of Islamist extremism, whether it's the strategic retreat of the United States and uh, the broad west, there is a lot to be concerned about But one of my very best best friends from Oxford uh, was an American Jesuit by the name of Paul Mankowski, sadly no longer with us. Uh, But Paul, who was an extensive commentator on all sorts of issues uh, over the years, he would often say uh, very few grounds for optimism yet reasons for hope. And uh, while we're here, there are reasons for hope. And what we've got to do, if I might quote St. Paul, is um, keep the faith, stay the course, and fight the good fight.
0: Tony, well said. A very, very good note to end on. Tony, thank you again for your insights and for this very enjoyable conversation.
1: Good on you, Daniel. Talk next week.
0: Thank you for listening to Australia's Heartland with Tony Abbott and thank you for your support of the Australian way of life. This has been a production of the Institute of Public Affairs. To find out more or to become a member, head to ipa.org.au.